Hey folks, it's Jeremy, the host of Blamo. Thanks so much for listening. This is a preview of one of our exclusive shows on Patreon. These are member-supported shows, meaning they only happen because of our incredible members and community. So check out a preview of the episode, and if you like it, consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Blamo, where we have tons of exclusive Blamo episodes, shows, our amazing Slack group, and we're adding new things for members all the time. If not, no worries, we still love you, and we literally have hundreds of episodes of Blamo all free for you to dive into. Thanks so much. Hey folks, it's Jeremy. You're listening to Blamo Extra, to be exact. Why is it extra? Because it just is. I mean, new season is is coming out next month. We're hard at work, but you know we never stop with all the Patreon episodes. But before we jump in, I want to summarize I want to summarize my week this morning because um I had a very interesting you know experience and and I I'm not trying to be dramatic I I'm telling this on the podcast I'm trying to be mindful of everyone listening to it getting ready to press fast forward or whatever they're doing hear me out here's the here's the deal I'm driving in the car and I feel this like like little like kind of itch behind my ear you know and by the way while I'm in the car I'm on the phone hands free by the way you know car play whatever with my mom and yeah, because I talked to my mom. What what about it? And, you know, I feel this like little thing and I go to like kind of tap, like scratch my ear and I'm like, oh, it's a bug. And I'm like, oh, it's a big bug. And so all within about like five seconds, I go to try to smack my ear, um, which hurts my ear, to knock the bug out of my ear. Turns out it was a bee. And during that process, it stung me. So I'm driving the car. I get stung by a bee behind the ear. The bee lands into my lap into which I go on kill mode and I punch myself in the crotch where the bee was to try to kill the bee. Um, It wasn't more of a punch, but it was a very, very hard slap. So now my ear's ringing. My mom's trying to figure out what's going on. I'm yelling the F word, freaking out. And I hit myself in the nuts and I got stung by a bee. Then (laughs) next thing you know, I look up and I'm driving on the wrong side of the road into oncoming traffic. Uh, luckily, you know, there's where I live, there was hardly any cars there. And so I swerve out of the way to get back on the normal road, trying to make sure the bee is dead. I get the bee, my ear hurts, my nuts hurt. My mom's trying to ask me how a bee got in the car. And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, what did you have the windows down? I was like, mom, just like stop for one second. I got stung by a bee. My nuts hurt. I can't hear anything. My ears are ringing. Just give me a second. That's, that's my life. That, that, that's, that's my life in a nutshell. I'm nearly dying trying to explain something and accidentally hitting myself in the crotch while I do it all. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Speaking of, big, big, big extra this week with Stephen Pulverant. He's the author of The Watch, Thoroughly Revised. He's a photographer. He was previously the head of editorial operations for a little website called Hadinki and recently founded the creative agency Rhyme and Reason. He's also a friend of the pod. And one of the folks I text to get the down low on what's happening in watches because, you know, homie loves a watch. Uh, Steven joins Rob and I to recap Watches and Wonders, the recent trade show out of Geneva, where nearly every watch company was showing off what they've been working on. And by the way, I said nearly, so don't don't at me right now. But something else I want to call out right now, I love this conversation because while Steven and I can rattle on watches all day, Rob comes in and helps shape the perspective of what he was into while we were buried into our press releases. 
And it's great because there's a discussion of people that are that just casually like watches versus people like me whom, you know, I'm I'm a goofball. So we discuss how hard it has been to buy a watch and how that's affecting the other brands in the industry, the recent announcements of watches and wonders, what we've been into lately, and more. If you're into watches, you hate to love them or you love to hate them, throw in those AirPods and take a walk with us. Here we go. Steven, thanks so much for for making the time to chat. Um, yeah, definitely want to definitely want to get get your reaction and take on watches and wonders. I feel like every watch publication and watch outlet is kind of going nuts with the stuff that we saw. But in my opinion, like one of the craziest things is just like the market is a hundred x what it you know it looks it it looks like it's a hundred x what it actually is now because there's just hype has entered the chat more than anything yeah. i've ever seen yeah it's uh the hype machine is real and like <laughs> the hype machine for watches has entered general pop culture in a way that like i don't know when i got into this like about 10 years ago would have seemed completely insane the fact that like mainstream publications are referring to watches and wonders geneva as if that's a thing that like normal human beings know about is crazy. Like even like my wife wouldn't have known that a couple of years ago. And I do this all the time, you know, and like, yeah, it's uh, it certainly created some some good things. It's also created some problems. But I think, you know, <laughs> ov- overall, like the world of watches is bigger than it's ever been. And it's, you know, reaching more people than it's ever reached. Um, whether people are buying or not is a whole other thing. But uh, I think at least in terms of the conversation, it's a it's a bigger conversation than we've been having for a while. Yeah. Can you but before we we dive too deep in, like, can you kind of give a a explanation of what Watches and Wonders was and is now? Yeah. So the the short version is that uh, until a few years ago, just like just before the pandemic, there there were basically two major trade shows in the watch industry. Uh, There was the SIHH, the Salon International de Haute Logerie uh, in Geneva in January. And then in like March, April was Basel World, which is watches and jewelry. Uh, and the SIHH was mostly brands owned by Richemont, uh, which owns Cartier, Montblanc, IWC, Piaget, those those brands, Panerai. Uh, and then a handful of independents like Audemars Piguet participated, Richard Mille participated. And then you had Basel World in March, April, which was kind of the, the broader show. Uh, that was everything from like, you know, People making plastic watch bracelet links for, you know, made in China watches that sell for $10 all the way up to like Rolex and Paddock. You know, it's it was a pretty wide uh, gamut. And then, you know, you have people trading diamonds on like a card table in the back, like literally. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> yeah. So like two very different shows. Uh, and then, you know, SIHH kind of had this spinoff thing, Watches and Wonders, that's been happening for probably eight or nine years now usually in another market in Hong Kong, in Miami, somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and basically everything through like a whole bunch of weird industry politics and the pandemic ended up consolidating. So you now have Watches and Wonders Geneva and it's the show. So uh, it's the brands that used to participate in the SIHH, uh, the Richemont brands that are all still there. But then you've got Paddock, Rolex, Tudor, uh, you know, and then some other brands like Oris is a part of it. Uh, Ulysse Nardin is a part of it. Uh, some of the LVMH brands like Zenith and, uh, you know, Tag Heuer are a part of it. So 
it's essentially the trade show for the luxury watch industry now. Granted, mm-hmm. there's some exceptions. Um, Swatch Group doesn't participate, for example. So that's like Omega, Longines, um, those brands, mm. Hamilton. They're all not there. But um, yeah, it's it's the big show for the watch industry now. And this is the first year it's happened like this in this format. Um, it got delayed because of the pandemic um, and it kind of morphed a little bit. So, yeah. This is this is a new kind of trade show, I guess, for the for the watch business. And I, I think at least earlier, because this is open to the or at least like a few days of it is is totally open to the public, correct? I think so. I think part of it was open to the public. Typically, yeah. what was what was done in the past was like the first couple of days were press and retailers. And you had uh, to be invited and approved and accepted and all this stuff. Yeah, uh, the SIHH <laughs> approval process is a thing I've spent uh, more hours of my life than I would care to have spent uh, <laughs> navigating and like clearing people's credentials and making sure the right team members were invited and like all that nonsense. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's now part of it's open to the public. You can't really get hands on with the watches if you're a member of the public. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's also like it's a good PR opportunity for the watch industry as a whole. And it's a rare moment where these brands that are typically like hyper competitive and often have executives who like personally hate one another uh, (laughs) come together to like, you know, support watches with a capital W and uh, kind of try to make the whole industry better. Yeah. And it's so I've I've been to SIHH, you know, pre pre it became this sort of super thing and going as a sort of like journalist or whatever. It's, you know, and I think people kind of like don't understand this. It's like a marathon of press releases. And generally they group you with the same people. And so it's like you're with the U.S. journalists that are that we think are going to like each other or, or know each other. And so you like you find like your homie that's you're there and you just run through a gauntlet all day of press releases and and um, speeches and you know, sitting down, but you get these like experiences from every brand and they're telling you about their watch. So it's like an information overload. And then during the five to 10 minute breaks that happen in between each session, you're whipping out your phone, multiple phones, all trying to post, all trying to share this on Instagram, give updates, make sure your embargoes are clear. Like my heart goes out to any journalist and anyone that's been there because it is just nonstop watch stuff that you know you see people list the wrong brand with the wrong watch and you're like yeah human error is definitely going to happen because they're just doped up on 400 espressos at every booth and yeah. and just trying to go through all of these watches to get it out and like this is some of the stuff i want to talk to you about steven is like especially with it feels like more than ever all people talk about is rolex and stock issues and inventory and whether or not it's you know it's there or it's held back or purposely or not and like for whatever that is take that and set it aside but it's like it's like going to comic-con and you're eclipsed by marvel's press announcements and a part of me is like what is the point for some of these brands to make their announcements when everyone is talking everything that people are talking about is almost like at least in my opinion what steers me away from the industry yeah it's um it's a tough thing and and like you know uh, the brands all release their embargoes sometime usually typically in the past it would be between like 
10 p.m. the night before the show local time in Switzerland, Mm -hmm. uh, 10 p.m. and like 8.30 or 9 a.m. And so you've got literally hundreds of new watches and the embargoes all break within like 10 hours. So like to your point, (laughs) it's just a fire hose of information, both as a journalist when you're trying to process it and then also for the consumer. Uh, Right, right. And this is the first year I've been on the kind of like receiving end uh, where I'm not the one in Geneva, like, you know, hitting publish on 200 stories over 48 hours where like <laughs> instead I'm the one like on Instagram trying to be like, oh, shit, did I miss something? Or like, right. Why is why is this thing getting all this attention and this other thing not? And like you're kind of at the mercy of the Instagram algorithm, too, which is a whole other wrinkle. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how brands try to get around it like i think there's two good examples this year one is is a brand that didn't participate in watches and wonders where well it's two brands technically which is omega and swatch who decided to do the moon swatch the week before (laughs) the show which like nice nice job by whoever made that decision at swatch group uh being like you know what we're gonna do heading into the first mr hayek (laughs) i would assume so uh at least somebody with the last name hayek yeah uh like hey, uh, the watch industry hasn't had a major trade show in two years. The week beforehand, this high-minded, luxury, super over-the-top show, we're going to release a bunch of $250 watches, and the whole internet's going to have a meltdown over it. Like, good on them. Uh, (laughs) And then the opposite way to go about it is what uh, Paddock did, which I actually, like, I'm the first person to rag on Patek Philippe, and I'm sure I'll do that at some point today, but... uh, They dropped a watch the last day of the show that might be one of, if not the coolest watch of of the show. Uh, It's one. It's definitely one of it's I I don't think my personal favorite, but it's one of the coolest watches of the show, which is this crazy chronograph called the 5470 P. But they dropped it. the Yeah, platinum. That's the P. Uh, It's a it's a chronograph that measures down to a tenth of a second. It's the first time that Paddock's ever done a super high speed chronograph like that. It's cool looking. It's very expensive. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, but they dropped it the last day of the show, which was, I think, April 5th. Um, mm-hmm. And like good on them for kind of holding their big piece until the end, letting all the other hype kind of work itself out. And then Patek, who's kind of like the, you know, the old school, like granddaddy of the industry comes in. is just like, and one more thing, you know, uh, good, good on them. Uh, I, I actually think that was super smart. And I, I again, I rag on them when I think they phone it in, which I think they do way too much. But this this was a an awesome watch and be a really smart way to kind of cut through the rest of the noise. Yeah, especially one, it's a mono pusher, which is just yeah, like so completely cool. unnecessary. Ugh. And and for folks that don't know, like a mono pusher, like historically with the chronograph, you have your start and stop and your reset, you know, two different buttons. So. But with a mono pusher, it's mono, obviously one. So you're pressing that and it's yeah. it's just cool. It's a cool flex. I mean, but like, I don't know how many are they going to make 12? You know, I mean, it's they're yeah. probably already sold. It, it's just yeah. I mean, it's not technically a limited edition, but it's three hundred and eighty thousand Swiss francs. So that's like <laughs> essentially four hundred grand pre-tax, you know, or I guess post-tax probably. But like, you know, that's that's four hundred grand uh, oh and God. they're not going to make that many of them every year. I think you're probably right. It's probably like low double digits a year. Um, 
they're application pieces. Like you have to apply through your retailer to get one. There's not like stock mm. out there. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. It's a cool watch. And again, like good on them for not letting this get lost in the like day one deluge of uh, information. True. Yeah. And Rob, I want to ask you because, you know, Stephen and I, at least from, you know, I, I, I live and breathe this stuff. It's so much fun. But I think I am becoming more aware of the bubble that I put myself in by like, I'm almost numb to some of these things. And, you know, I'm curious for someone who you're a fan of watches, you buy watches, you're into it. Like, what has some of this stuff looked like for you? Have you felt like more interested in buying watches than before? Are you like averse to it now? I'm just kind of curious your reaction with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, like, going back to your original question, which is like, how does a smaller brand trying to make their mark, like get breakthrough, like all of the noise that's created by things like Patek's mic drop of a watch that honestly, like it's cool to think about, but it has no relevance to my life because <laughs> yeah, welcome to watches. Like, I'm not even going to be able to see spot one, on. Right. I mean, like you can't even go to a store and like appreciate it. Right. Yeah. Um, probably not. And yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, you were talking about just like hundreds of watches, like go. Right. And it is mm-hmm. like a lot. Um, it's a process. So I, it's kind of one of those things that just as kind of a normal civilian, I kind of, I look for people who like spend all their time, like filtering through all that stuff to like talk about, like, here's something cool. And and I always appreciate when people talk about things that aren't, you know, the things that everybody's talking about. It's, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Cause I kind of come from like the thing that I have historically been hooked on is music. Right. And that's kind of the role of a DJ, right. Whether it's like a radio DJ or like, you know, somebody creating playlists or somebody at the club. It's like to take the infinite world of music and like bring it together in a way that makes sense and like give you the, you know, the good stuff. Right. Right. But like, has there, I mean, cause I know that you've been on the hunt for a couple pieces lately. Mm. Have, have any of the new announcements made you reconsider what you were looking for? Um, no, not really. I mean, the, I think I would say I'm not in the mainstream of what the watch market is probably considered because I have pretty small wrists, so I like midsize. Um, I also like something like a tasteful aesthetic, so like Lange Saxonia, like Cartier Santos is my my most recent pickup, which I love. Um, like something with a, a perspective, but you know, really, really thought out in terms of design. Um, so I would say the first thing I do. So I like read through the copyright and I'm like, this sounds cool. Hmm. Maybe it sounds like it's not something I can afford though. And then I check the, (laughs) then I check the case size and usually going through those two things, uh, you know, you kind of ruled it out, but actually, I mean, I don't know. I'm like, maybe I should just be more focused on vintage. Um, but I'm actually curious, Stephen, if you've you've kind of stumbled across anything that, that might be interesting, especially for more of a, a sport or tool watch aesthetic that, you know, the case sizes tend to be pretty big. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think we're definitely trending smaller, which I also hell yeah, I I know I have a small (laughs) wrist. I wear mostly like 36 to 38 millimeter watches like 39 is like about as big as I'll go, maybe 40. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's nice to see stuff coming back down in size. But I think we're still. There's still a ways to go. We're, we're, We're trending in the right direction, but there's still a ways to go. And I think also. 
the push toward everybody making like steel sport watches or sport watches on in white metals on bracelets uh those tend to kind of hover in the like 39 to 42 range um Mm -hmm. so kind of at the bigger end it depends on how the bracelet integrates whether they're comfortable for me or not so you know speaking as a person who i think you know you and i have kind of similar taste and and similar size preferences like i think we're heading in the right direction i think it's going to be a little while i think you know to your point about vintage vintage is great but the problem is like you know on the price side like prices are just going nuts and the good stuff is getting more and more expensive and yeah sure i still think it's like a pretty solid investment but like you know you still have to have the cash to invest right like it's Mm. a safe place (laughs) like a a vintage rolex is a very i think a very safe place to park twenty thousand bucks you still got to have twenty thousand bucks that you don't need to like pay your rent you know uh like (laughs) that's not uh that's not a given and i think there's often an assumption in the watch community that like that is kind of a given uh and it's it's not that's like not normal people that's not normal life uh even even in this kind of like elevated normal life it's it's still not normal Mm. um and yeah i mean we don't have to go super far down this rabbit hole but like i bought my first vintage rolex in 2014 january of 2014 uh, which means I was like 24. Mm. Uh, I saved up a bunch of money. I did freelance work in addition to having a like 80 hour a week job. Uh, I got very lucky because I was in the watch industry. So I like had friends who were dealers. A friend gave me an incredible price on a watch. I had gotten a freelance job basically to pay for it. And like it was doable. It was a lot of money. It was the equivalent it of, many, of it hurt. And it was yeah. many months of salary. And like, it hurt, but it was it was doable for a 24 year old living with a roommate in Brooklyn and like, you know, not not going out to dinner too often and like really like making making it happen. But that's not possible anymore. Like I like I feel like I actually now at, you know, 32 have less spending power uh, mm. in the watch world than I had when I was like 24. Uh, and it's, you know, some of that is also I have other priorities now, but like. It's it's hard and I I it bums me out to see like the younger guys getting into it and younger people, men and women, which is great. Um, it's not quite as as dude centric as it once was still is, but not not quite as much. Um, but like it bums me out to see these people in like their early 20s, mid 20s, early 30s who like want to get into this. And, and to Jeremy's earlier point, like, you know, you you're making good money, but like. You got a mortgage or you're trying to buy a house. You got kids to send to school. You've got, you know, stuff to do. And uh, it's tough. It's tough to justify. So I don't know. To your point, Rob, I think it's kind of like a catch 22, right? Like there's there's ups and downs everywhere. You're kind of you're kind of I guess the good news is. Want to hear the rest? Hear this and a ton more exclusive episodes from Sid Mashburn to Chris Gibbs of Union and Derek Guy of Die Workwear all on Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash blammo to learn more and sign up. And when you join, you get access to our private members only Slack group where we chat about watches, clothes, cars, and everything that's dope. So visit patreon.com forward slash blammo and we'll see you there.